0: everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You are listening to the Financials Edition taped today on Wednesday, September 14th, 2016. But you are listening to this on October 3rd. Happy October. My name is Gabby LaPera and joining me on Skype is Jordan Wathan, an analyst in our Financials Bureau here at The Motley Fool. Hi, Jordan. How's it going?
1: It's going well. How about you?
0: Awesome. I'm glad to have you on the show today. Uh, So, today we are going to attempt to answer a listener question from Abrielle Elise. She would like to know how to purchase an index fund. Um, And there's a lot, I guess, that could potentially go into that. Uh, I decided to make it enough to, to have an entire show. So, get ready to learn all about index funds. Jordan, I'm going to start with an extremely softball question What is an index fund?
1: So an index fund is, tip, is, technically speaking, it's any kind of fund that invests in an index and isn't actively managed. So an actively managed fund hires portfolio managers and analysts to find good stocks and bonds that they think will make great investments, and they generally seek to outperform the market or outperform a benchmark. Index funds, on the other hand, they just buy the index. So, if you buy a traditional S&P 500 index fund, like Vanguard's 500 index fund, it buys and sells all the stocks in the S&P 500. That's all it does. If a stock is removed from the S&P 500, then the fund sells it. If a stock is added to the index, then the fund buys it.
0: So, um, just for our listeners, just in case you haven't quite cottoned on to this, there's these things called indexes, and they work just like an index in a book, right? They list everything that's in the book. The index lists everything that's in that particular index. Index all the stock indexes, which is why it's called the S and P 500 index.
1: Right. Um, So the S and P 500 index generally holds 500 of the largest companies in the United States or that trade on U.S. markets.
0: Right. And you were talking earlier about mutual funds um, trying to beat their benchmark. Uh, Typically, the benchmark is some kind of index.
1: Right. Typically, it is an index, and you know it depends. So for bonds, obviously, have bond indexes. Bonds aren't trying to beat. You know, bond investors aren't trying to beat stocks, and stock investors would hope that they can outperform bonds generally but you know they're not benchmarked bonds obviously too.
0: Um, right. Can you can you name any other kind of like kind of common more commonly known stock indexes for our listeners? Sure.
1: The S&P 500 is a large cap index. It holds 500 of the largest, you know, stocks in the United States. Um, on the other end of the spectrum would be say the Russell 2000 which holds small cap stocks in the United States.
0: So, just so our listeners know, uh, cap refers to market capitalization, um, so a large cap stock would be a company that's market capitalization is above $5 billion. Of course, that figure kind of varies depending on who you ask, but around $5 billion is good enough for our purposes. Um, small cap is obviously a lot smaller, and when I say a lot smaller, I mean like, say $200 million. It's it's a lot, lot smaller. Um, so, second question. Um, why would you want to invest in an index fund?
1: So the primary benefit of an index fund is that because they don't employ managers to oversee the portfolio and hire very expensive analysts to go find stocks or bonds for it, you know, stocks and bonds I think are going to be good investments, they can pass on those much lower costs to investors. Yeah. So there, there's a, there's a group out there, it's called the Investment Company Institute, and they basically collect information on the world of investment funds. And in 2015, the average stock mutual fund charged an expense ratio of 0.8%. That's an, active, that's an actively managed fund, 0.84%. Now, index funds, on the other hand, cost 0.11% in 2015. So roughly one-eighth the cost for an index fund compared to an active fund.
0: That's, that's a huge amount. Um, I realize that when you're talking about anything that's preceded by point. Something, um, it doesn't seem like it would make a huge difference. But if you spread that uh, that out, that amount out over time, you're losing a lot of money in fees.
1: <laughs> right. So it, that's a good way. I I hate when people put it. I, I just did it, but I hate when people put it in perspective of you know the amount of assets under management. Put it into consideration of, uh, you know, say the average return over time. Let's say the S&P 500's average return might be 8%. We'll just go with that figure. So if you pay 0.8%, you're basically giving up one-tenth of your return, right? And if you pay 0.1%, you're giving up I don't know what is that like 1.25% of your return? I mean it's just astronomical difference.
0: It's huge. Um so it's really important to look at expense ratios, which is something that we'll actually get to in a little bit. Um and you you I think that we've kind of touched on this, but um an index fund can be um a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. Um because it's literally any fund that tracks an index. So it just kind of depends on how you're buying it, I guess. Um but uh, we'll we'll get a little bit more into that because it kind of gets into the costs. Um, so the other reason that you might want to have an index fund is maybe you don't have a lot of time to pay a lot of attention to the stock market, but you would like your money to still continue growing. Um, so you can just put your money into an index fund um, and let it grow passively. And it's a lot better. It's generally a much better place to keep your money um, and have it continue growing than a savings account. Because at least it'll keep pace with inflation and perhaps exceed it a little bit if it's if it's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, so basically, that that sums up to passive investing is fun if you don't have a lot of time. Um, the other right. the other thing that's really good about index funds is diversification.
1: Right. So diversification is probably you know after costs and basically being a passive investor, it's it's one of the biggest benefits. So. Just to use an example, there's an index out there, and it's very popular. It's called the Total Stock Market Index. And it basically tracks every single stock in the United States that's you know, of practical size to actually own. So Vanguard's Total Stock Market Index for the United States, it holds more than 3,600 stocks, which is just extreme diversification. The only stocks that it voids are stocks with market caps or market values of less than $10 million, which are really just stocks that are honestly too small for the fund to even hold or buy and sell out of. And to just really just kind of put that into perspective, there's this website out there where you can basically buy and sell private companies. And I've seen car wash chains sell for more than $10 million. So... At that price, you're, you know, or at that valuation, you're not really missing out on much. You're not, you know, it's basically the stock market, the whole thing, ninety nine point nine percent of it.
0: Yeah, but it also doesn't. I mean, if you want to get a little bit more specific than that, you can be like, I want to invest in a consumers, consumer goods index fund, and it's an index fund that tracks consumer goods companies. You know, right? Or-
1: exactly. So yeah, and, and so there's actually there was a new ETF that came out recently. It's technically an index fund because it tracks an index. And it trades under the ticker symbol SLIM. S L I M. And it actually tries to invest in companies that will make money on the growing obesity problem. So these can get super extremely specific.
0: That's crazy. That's one that's a very clever ticker symbol. Um, right. <laughs> I always I always get a chuckle out of out of some of them. Um, and. Too. That's. I mean. I don't know. It's really smart. I'll have to look into it. So basically, diversification. It's. It's the opposite of having all your eggs in one hand basket. You have basically a hand basket for every egg you've ever bought in your entire life, Um, which you know keeps them all gently padded and safe. Um, Of course, diversification. Moving on to our next topic uh, can be a disadvantage um, in that, for example, say that you bought Apple in like 1990, when it was still really, really cheap, right now you would have a lot of money. But if you invested in an index fund that Apple was a component of in 1996, you'd still have more money than when you started, but you wouldn't have as great of a return as you would have with solely having just invested in the index fund than you would have if you just invested in Apple.
1: Right, so and some people call that diversification, just as kind of a play on uh, diversification oh, man. but you know if you think about the legendary investors of the world, think about Warren Buffett he wouldn't be anybody today if you made him go buy a thousand stocks, right? No one would even know his name if he had if he had to at any given time own one thousand stocks. Not that his re- you know returns wouldn't have been good or you know bad, but Warren Buffett made a fortune because he was super concentrated into his best ideas, which if you buy an index fund by definition you're almost rarely if ever you know super invested in just one or two or three or 10 companies. Right.
0: So while diversification insulates you from a market going or a company going completely broke because there's so many other companies that are doing fine in the index, it also insulates you from making like mega profits that you could if you'd picked one stock in particular. And just for reference, I think Warren Buffett has around 50ish stocks in his portfolio right now. Um which is not a lot, especially considering he has an entire investing team figuring out like what to buy. You know, like he could Right, have especially a considering his big
1: four makeup. You know, probably I, I don't know the percentage offhand, but it's a very significant percentage of that amount.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so the yeah. other thing that we talked about that we touched on earlier are fees, um, and this is something that you kind of just have to take into account when you're buying an index fund. Um, so the other thing that you need to keep in mind when you're buying index funds, at least as an ETF, is that you are probably going to have to pay a commission.
1: Right. So, and, and really, this goes for any fund, whether it's an exchange trade fund or even a mutual, you know, a mutual fund and a mutual index fund, is that you will probably have to pay a commission. Um, some companies offer commission-free trades, or some brokerage houses do, but in general, those tend to be the higher expense ratio. Funds, so be careful, with that. be careful with that. Just as a general rule, but yeah, especially with exchange-traded funds, because exchange-traded funds are bought and sold like stocks on the stock market. You know, you have to pay a commission just as you would if you bought and sold, you know, shares of Apple, for example.
0: Yeah, um, and the final disadvantage related to diversification, I guess, is that you are never going to outperform the market. Like by definition, you can only do as well as the market does. <laughs> Which, lucky for you, the market has been like historically has always risen over time, even if there's some giant dips in the intermediate, like in the in the short term. But I mean, you're never, like we said, going to get a huge winner of a stock by investing in an index fund, which means you'll never have the satisfaction of rubbing it in your boss's face when your stock picks outperform his.
1: Well, and that's not such a bad thing either. Too, it's just not the you know we don't want to scare people away from this. I mean, really, the average active stock picker isn't going to beat the market anyway after costs. So that is you know, super true. Take that into consideration.
0: Yeah. Um. In fact, the average mutual fund is also not able to. The actively managed mutual fund is also not able to beat an index fund.
1: Right. Um. Exactly. So if Harvard <laughs> MBAs can't do it, then you know, I mean, you can't be too upset about it, I guess.
0: Exactly. I think it's something like. Only twenty percent of mutual funds outperform their benchmarks I think some like something absurd like eighty percent do not so mm-hmm. keep, keep that in mind um, so let's get to the nitty-gritty of actually buying one um, there are fees involved in buying an index fund um, we mentioned the commission if you're buying an ETF but that's the same as if you're buying any other stock um. There's also purchase and redemption fees. Can you get a little bit into into those for me, Jordan?
1: So, right. So, in the past there used to be these fees called loads and they've kind of gone the way of the wayside. And a, basically what a load was was an upfront fee and sometimes a back-end fee that you would pay to buy or sell a, a mutual fund. And eventually, you know, people figured out that paying 3% just to buy a mutual fund was a really bad idea. And luckily, you know, the world is changing and People are becoming more cognizant of costs, so you know they're going away. But purchase and redemption uh, fees still exist, and you just want to be really aware, basically really cognizant of the fact that there can be purchase and redemption fees on some funds. I mean, even Vanguard, which is known for keeping costs as low as possible— charges some purchase and redemption fees on some of its bond index funds, for example.
0: Yeah. So what you'd be looking for in the text, because whenever you buy an index fund, um, you can go online and there's the companies are required to provide you a lot of information about them. Or if you really want to, you can ask for a paper copy of this. Um, but there should be something that says load or no load, and you're going to be looking for a no load fund.
1: Right. And then, But even no load funds can have purchase and redemption fees. So.
0: And those will also be listed as well. Right. Um, so make sure to look at that. And then the other thing that we touched on earlier is um, expense ratios. If you happen to be buying um, through if you happen to be buying it as a mutual fund instead of as an ETF, um, you want to see how much the expense ratio is. I mean, it right. still matters for the ETF, but a little a little bit less, I guess.
1: Um, right So yeah, and basically what that does, just to give an explanation, the expense ratio is the cost of holding that fund over a year divided by how much you've invested in. So if you have $1,000 dollars to invest and the fund charges 0.5% to invest in it, you'd basically be paying five dollars per year on that amount.
0: Right. Um, so that's the major that's like a really big thing that you should check before you actually buy the fund is what fees are involved. And just to refresh, again, just in case for whatever reason you missed it, it's purchase and redemption fees, whether or not it has a load and the expense ratio. So the other thing that you want to look at is what are they actually invested in, right? Like, are you interested invest in investing in the S and P 500? Are you interested in investing in utilities? Are you interested in investing only in certain market caps? Like, there's so many options, like Jordan mentioned. So that that's the first thing. Like, what am I actually investing in if I buy this? And again, um, the companies are required to say what is actually inside the fund. I don't know if they actually list specific companies, but most of the time they'll tell you at least like what sectors they're invested in. And right, they like, so,
1: uh-huh. Yeah, you can get a, you can get a list of specific you know, usually they'll provide a list of specific companies on their website. But more importantly, I would say to go to the website and click on the they'll have what's called a summary prospectus. Yeah. And that's basically the shortened version of, you know, everything you need to know. There's still long documents that can still be, you know, twenty, thirty pages. But there will be a point in in that yeah. prospectus will it say where it will say this is the index fund we seek to track, like the S and P five hundred, and this is how we do it: we buy all the stocks, you know, that are in the S and P five hundred. For example, right.
0: It's basically a mission statement. Um, so that that is the fir- That's, I guess, the second thing after fees you should look for. Um, and then the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, index funds can have different kind of strategies for how they invest. Um, the most common one is market cap weighted versus equal weighted funds. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit, Jordan?
1: Sure. So, basically, when – and again, we'll go to the S&P 500 because I think it makes a great example. Uh, The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index. So, the largest company in the S&P 500, which happens to be Apple, makes up the largest share of the S&P 500. You know, the smallest companies in it make up a much smaller share of it. So, when a traditional, basically, market cap weighted index fund buys into the S&P – they put about 5% into apple and then i think it's ExxonMobil or microsoft that's next i can't remember mm-hmm. but you know there'll be you know 4.7% you know and it just goes down the list until you get into fractional percentage points on the other hand an equal weighted index will basically take the 500 companies that are in the uh, that are in the index and divide the money equally between them so you'd have 0.2% of your money invested in every single stock if you bought an s&p 500 index fund
0: Right, and I mean it's kind of up to you whether or not this matters to you. Um, If you do an equal-weighted fund, obviously, I I mean no, it's 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 really up to you. If you feel like there's a huge difference, then that's just something you should keep in mind. Yeah,
1: the the biggest difference is that an S and P 500 fund that is market cap weighted will have more invested in the largest companies, so it'll be much more of a larger quote unquote mega cap index whereas an equal weighted one would have just as much invested in you know the smaller mid-sized you know what we would call mid caps in the S&P 500 so a mid cap would be equal to you know a large cap like Apple in an equal weighted fund whereas obviously in the market cap weighting fund Apple will be significantly larger than you know the smallest companies in there
0: yeah so i, I guess that's true so depending on the index if you end up with equal weighted um you have the potential for slightly more return because there's always the potential for smaller companies. It's easier for a smaller company to grow than for a large company to grow. Um, of course, the opposite is also true, um, that it's easier for a smaller company to go out of business than it is for a bigger company to go out of business. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's up to you. That, one, that one's really 100% up to you. So, um, the next thing that you need to do, like, you've figured out what the fees are. You've figure you figured out what the index fund is actually invested in, and you've decided, I want to buy this index fund. So, the first thing you need to do is make sure you have a brokerage account.
1: Right. You need to, you need to have a brokerage account. Or, at least, if you're buying a mutual fund, you can go you know, to the fund company. Vanguard has, I believe, they have, I'm just using them as an example, but they have brokerage accounts and they have mutual fund-only accounts. I mean, the, the difference is that a brokerage account can buy, I believe, you, know, you can buy stocks in that account. Whereas, the mutual fund only, you can only buy mutual funds. But yes, you need to have a brokerage account, and ideally, if you're doing this, you should probably do it in a retirement account, like an individual retirement account.
0: Right. So, um, If you don't know this, in most retirement accounts, I'm struggling to think of one where you can't, you can buy stocks or index funds within the retirement account. Um, So, For example, if you have an IRA, you have a total contribution limit for the year. Of $5,500, that's amongst all your accounts total. Um, and you can use that money to, you can just sit there if you want, that's an option. Um, or you can invest it into a stock or into an index fund, really whatever your heart desires.
1: Um, right. And I, I think the important thing is to remember is that you can have multiple IRAs. So if you want to open an IRA at Fidelity and buy a Fidelity fund or buy a Fidelity index fund, you can do that. If you want to open an IRA also at Vanguard, you can do that too the the only limits on iras is not how many accounts you have it's the amount that you can contribute to it each year
0: right which i don't think a lot
1: of people are you know aware of
0: right so um so we, you can either get it from like a brokerage account so say like you have a brokerage account with fidelity you can buy it in a retirement account and the other option i think that you mentioned was you can buy it directly from a company so you open a brokerage account with the company so you can buy um let's let's do vanguard again just cuz it's my favorite um and I I don't, we'll cover that. I, I'm not advocating that you buy it just because it's my favorite later. But anyway, say you want to open an index fund or open a position in an index fund from Vanguard, you can open it one with Vanguard. Um, and most companies actually allow you to buy index funds from their competitors anyway. Um, so if you wanted to, you can open an account with Vanguard and then also buy a Fidelity index fund from your Vanguard account. Um, there are a couple things that you need to make sure of um so there's uh you you often get dividends from these index funds um and you should set up something called a drip plan which is a dividend reinvestment plan um and you want i prefer having my dividends automatically reinvested so instead of getting a check every month i just have that automatically reinvesting um into into the the fund and you can get a fractional share um But the one thing you really want to make sure with that is that you don't pay a commission every time the dividend gets reinvested.
1: Right, because let's just, to give an example, the S&P 500, I think the yield on it right now is somewhere around 2%. So if you invest, say, $5,000 into an S&P 500 fund, you will have dividend distributions probably of about $100 over the next year. And to reinvest that and pay a 10% commission on it is just, or a $10 commission on it is just insane. You know, that's that's 10% off the top. You know, it really adds up over time. So that's why I would recommend for just the average person, and I hate saying this just because, you know, financial advice is so individual, but the average person is probably better off in an index mutual fund versus an exchange-traded fund, because mutual funds generally have no or low commissions compared to ETFs.
0: Yeah. Um, and if you are wondering whether or not your fund charges you every a commission every time you uh, use your DRIP... Um, You just need to check the paperwork. They are legally required to disclose all of this to you. Um, In terms of actually how to purchase one step by step, um, it's difficult to say because everyone's brokerage accounts look different. Um, But there should somewhere be a box um, that lets you type in a ticker um, and a button somewhere that says buy. Um, Make sure you have enough funds in your account. And make sure you're aware of all the things that we talked about ahead of time. Um, do you have any last advice for actually how to buy an index fund, Jordan?
1: No, I mean because because the thing is is that every brokerage firm is obviously different. Uh, you know, I can't say go here, click this, <laughs> and then you know you'll buy it. I would I would just say that. If, it, if you have any doubt whatsoever, just give them a call, seriously. The the only difference between, you know, the only things brokerages really do anymore is provide customer service, right? Like Anyone can execute a trade anymore, it's not a big deal, but really you should make use of it. If you're going to pay them fees, call them up and just ask, honestly.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Um, so just to sum up, uh, index funds, it's not cool, but they work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Make sure that you check uh, for fees, make sure you know what you're actually investing in, um, and know what the pros and cons in general of index funds are in case you missed it. There's the whole first half of the episode, just rewind. Um, And yeah, thanks guys so much for joining us. Um, I hope you guys are having a great October. If it's October 3rd, I'm either in San Francisco or in Beijing, so hi from abroad or potentially the other coast. Uh, As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Contact us at at industryfocus.fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus if you have any questions about this episode. I probably won't answer it, but someone else will, unless you're listening to this episode a year later. In that case, me personally i will probably respond to it um thank you to austin morgan who loves diversification today's awesome producer and thank you to y'all for joining us everyone have a great week